If you turn with me to James. Someone asked me, and I, I, I want to explain this. Worship is nothing to do with singing songs. Uh, uh, the idea uh, concocted in the old covenant about worship, that somehow you have to have music to worship God, is totally and utterly false. Because if Jesus came to teach worship, he would have had a worship leader, he would have got Peter a guitar, or uh, whatever it is, he would have got a keyboard, he would have arranged a hydroelectric scheme in the wilderness, um, so he could have had electricity and plugged in a synthesizer, and we would have had uh, worship. But um, because he didn't do that, uh, he just got on with healing the sick and delivering the captives and obeying God. True worship is actually laying down your life and doing the will of God. It is nothing to do with an emotional experience. And uh, I want you to know obedience is what God's looking for. You see, sacrifice is what worship is about. Wherever there was an altar, there was sacrifice, there was shedding of blood. Well, that is your life being laid down, your life uh, laid down. And Jesus said, um, sacrifice you would not a body thou hast prepared. And he was, he was the Lamb of God. And he came to die, bleed and die for you and I. And you have to understand, don't ever get the idea that you need music. You do not enter God's presence with music. It never has been biblical, it never will be biblical to enter God's presence with music. Um, unless you call it the bells on the bottom of the, of the high priest's garments, and what you want to realize is he was the only one who went into the Holy of Holies in those days, and he went in with blood, and they used to tie a rope round his ankle so they could pull him out when he died, if he died. Um, they didn't do that. But that was... I don't know who made that up. Who made that up? Well, okay. No, no evidence. There's no evidence of that. You haven't got any marks around your ankle. <laughs> uh, Dr. Hayden said that, that he doesn't agree with that. Well, he's the Old Testament scholar, so I will bow to his inferior knowledge um, on this subject. <laughs> uh, superior knowledge. Did I say inferior? Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Anyway, what I do know is this, that there was only the sound of bells, you know, and the, I suppose the swishing of, of the garment as he walked, um, but there was never music. Now, you go back and they talk about the restoration of the tabernacle of David, and David appointed singers and that. I don't deny that, and we have a choir, but God's presence is to do with the blood of Jesus Christ coming into the Holy of Holies. We have boldness to come in before the presence of God, not because of worship, not because of singing, but because of life, lifestyle, and the shed blood. That is the only thing that's efficacious before God. Otherwise, uh, we're coming in and we're earning our way in and the whole idea of churches getting together and all having a sing song and then saying all oh, the presence of God has come is totally false what has happened is you're getting yourself in an emotional state but that is not God and that is why the deception that so often lies that people believe that emotion is God it isn't God is not emotion. Uh, God is truth. Uh, and a lot of people have hooked up with songs, music, and so I just want to make it plain that that is not 
anything to do with true Christianity. Alright? You do understand that. If you believe that the presence of God, you say, well, he inhabits the praises of his people. Yeah, but I can praise God without singing. Can't I? I mean, he's wonderful, isn't he? Our God is a good God, isn't he? That's praise. And, and <coughs> if it's true from my heart to God, I don't have to get with a group of people and start working myself up. It's just a fact, I, I, God's good. All the time. Amen? Amen? Are you with me? Except for my wife, you know? <laughs> no, are you with me? You understand what I'm saying? Now, I love choirs. I love music. I love singing. I love good songs. But I'm just saying to you, that that's not what's... What's important is how you live. What's important is what you do. What isn't important is, is the um, kind of liturgy, whether it's the liturgy of, of the Anglican Church, the Methodist Church, whether it's hymnals, whatever it is, that is not what's important. What is important is lifestyle. And so when we get to James, is that all right? You all got that? Is that all right, Dr. Hayden? Am I okay? I'm all apart from the rope. Haldane and all the um, people always wrote of that, you know. Uh, so where did they get it from? You don't know. Go on. Yes, I have looked in the literature. I had Brad Young, who's uh, trained in rabbinic literature, look for it. We even had a archaeologist in Israel make that statement uh, in giving a lecture. And uh, we challenged him uh, where that was. Oh, well, he says it's, it's in some of the writings. But it isn't in any of the writings, so I don't know where it came from. But it is usually said. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've always believed it because I was taught it. I was taught it. How many people were taught it? Should all have been. I taught it. <laughs> well, weren't you listening? <laughs> I mean, I was all, <laughs> you knew that, didn't you, Colin? You taught us. You taught us. <laughs> uh, it is, uh, if you look at Haldane, Hodge, any of those uh, commentaries, in fact, I think it's also Spurgeon used it. So, uh, all the old theologians use it. So, and John Owen, so what can I say? Um, I know what I will say. Dr. Hayden says they're wrong. Uh, <laughs> who shall I believe? Who will you believe? What? What? That's right. That's why it's the dean. Good. Now we've got that over. Uh, <laughs> and we're all feeling much better for it. And I shall watch everything I say tonight. Um, <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> says this in James chapter 1, all right? <laughs> James, are you all in James 1? Well done. Okay. James 1. Says this, verse 22. It says, but be you doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, that's pretty obvious and plain, isn't it? If you look at the Word of God, you see what it says, you see yourself, and you realize it's applying, 
then what you've got to do is you've not got to forget what you've read or what you've heard. You've got to do it. And your work is the most important thing. It's what you do. It's not what you believe, because a lot of people believe but don't do. And the big problem in the church of God is to find doers. There's so many people that, that look and study and can tell you what the scripture says and know that there's no rope um, to pull someone out. <laughs> but it's a doer of the word. He's the one who isn't forgetful. And, and I want to talk about forgetfulness because one of the problems in life is that it's so easy to forget. That's what the enemy of our soul talks about him coming along and the words plucked up from the heart. Uh, do you remember Jesus said that the seed is the word? Now, now please understand it. It never said the seed is money. I know there's a lot of people who want to sow money everywhere and believe. Well, I mean, there is a, uh, there is a truth in it, I suppose. Um, if you give, you'll get good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Okay? With what measure you meet, you'll be meeting unto you. But in, in seed terms, um, it's the word of God, Jesus said. Now, when that comes in, some falls on what? Stony ground. And what happens? The fowls of the air come and pick it up. Okay? Now, Jesus made it very plain that the enemy will come and, if he can, takes it away. And, and, and often in your life, you'll find that the enemy, you, you get a word and it seems to go into your heart and boom, and it's not two minutes and you can't remember it. How many have had that experience? Just forget, don't you? You haven't even made the door and it's gone. <coughs> And then, the next one, no one remembers. So see. What? The shallow ground, it springs up and what happens? When trials come, what happens? And isn't it amazing how often you can get into a situation where you really take hold of the Word of God, you receive it with joy, you think, I really got hold of that, and everything goes fine until a trial comes and the heat comes, and when you're in heat of a trial, what do you do? Well, the Word withers away because other pressures get hold of you. And then the seed that falls amongst the thorns, what happens to that? And, and it's gone, isn't it? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches just snuff it out. And, and you'll find that always when God begins to deal with us, there's time and chance happeneth to every man and there are circumstances that come along and those circumstances militate to stop us really walking the way God wants us to walk. The enemy of our souls will try and distract your mind and your heart off it by deception and argument. But the real issue is the good heart is the honest and true heart that hears the word, understands it, and then brings forth fruit. Now, you can only bring forth fruit if you live it, if you don't allow things to choke it out, if you don't allow things to divert you from what you should do. See, all of us, at some point or other, we step on the right way, and then we find we've gone the wrong way, and we lose what we should have had, and we don't bear fruit. Now, the problem with not bearing fruit is that it's unprofitable. You become forgetful about what you're doing. I see a lot of Christians start off fantastically well, great joy, but there's no depth in them. And the reason there's never any depth is because they will not persevere. 
they, they will quickly forget. As soon as something else comes along, they forget it. Another reason people don't persevere is because they're always looking for a new gimmick, a new thing. And God never wants to take us off what we're in and give us something new. God's not in that. There's nothing new under the sun. And I find so many people are always looking for a new experience, looking for a new encounter, looking for a new doctrine, looking for a new way of this, a new way of that, hoping God somehow... And God isn't going to somehow do something different. God builds line upon line, precept upon precept. And life, if you want to know the honest truth, life is about growing. And growing is about a very mundane thing. A plant, when it's put in the ground, or you drop a seed in the ground, and the plant begins to grow, it doesn't jump up every five minutes and say, yee-hee, I'm growing, uh, and then get back in the earth. It, it stays there, doesn't it? Hello? How does fruit come? It just abides. Jesus said, abide in me and let my word abide in you. And the abiding is the thing that Christians find so hard because the enemy is always trying to knock you off. And people come along and circumstances come along. The one thing they want to do is get you off what God has really said onto some new thing. But you just got to keep going. You've got to keep with absolute determination not to forget. Because the moment you forget and the moment you let go, you don't bear fruit. And that is the problem. Fruit doesn't come in a moment. I tell people, when you come to the church, first thing it'll do, it'll take you three years to unlearn what you shouldn't have learnt. It'll take you three years to learn what you should have been taught. It'll take you another three years to actually become fruitful. And so at the end of nine years, you'll have progressed and begun. People say, well, no, just a minute. But it does take that long. You say, well, why does it take that long? Because God is in the long term. Everything in our lives is short term. God's in the long term. You know, it's from generation to generation. He's not in a hurry. We are. We're short of time. God isn't. God is an eternal God, and he doesn't look on time. Therefore, our minds, finite minds, we look on a very short span of time, and we're very fixated on getting things ever so quickly. But God, when he looks at our lives, he's not bothered. Um, a fruit tree doesn't really bear fruit till the fifth year. We want it first year. We'd like to see it. It doesn't happen. And we've all got the idea that things can be quick, but they're not. Life's not quick. When you consider a child, when a child's born, it takes a long time to grow up, doesn't it? Hello? Well, it takes you 18 years. Or if you're a true believer, 21. And if you're a Jew, 30. But, but you go on, it takes you time to grow, doesn't it? And mature? Hmm? Takes you time to fully develop physically, doesn't it? Or doesn't it? Takes you time. There's always time. Now, how long does it take? How long does it take from birth to maturity? Is it fair to say 21 years? 20, 25 years for a man, really. Hmm? I mean, he, he really becomes a, a fully developed when he's about 50. <laughs> Overdeveloped. But, but it takes time, doesn't it? Doesn't God say that you understand the spiritual by what you see in the natural? And then why is it a baby in Christ someone who's born again, is expected to somehow 
not go naturally and develop naturally. He's expected somehow, because he gets filled with the Holy Ghost, within a short time, he can go off, he can be a preacher, he can go off do things, and he doesn't need education, he doesn't need to develop his mind, he doesn't need any bibli biblical knowledge, he, it doesn't take time, it just is warm. But God's not like that. And we need to come back and begin to realize God is in the long term. And in our lives, we need to realize that what God's about in our lives is always long term. You know, he begins a work and he'll perfect it to the end. But he's not really interested in short term fixes. He's working on you, but he'll take his time. You've got to be born again for, to be in the family. I, I'm not talking about new birth. I'm talking about the time it takes to develop and mature and really become fruitful. And one of the things that happens in so many lives is people expect of themselves far beyond their years what they can do. And if you try and be what you're not, you get in trouble. And if you look in James, he says this, For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, verse 23, he is like, it, is like unto a man beholding what? What does he behold? His, his what face? Natural face. Is it talking about spiritual? It's like, that's what it's like. In other words, the natural and the spiritual, first that which is natural, then that which is spiritual, they, they, nature declares things. You'll find in Romans chapter 1. And what has happened is we spiritualize things so much, we talk about being filled with the Holy Ghost, and then people think because they are, because they've had a gift, that then, bang, they can go off. And they do go off with a bang. Now let me tell you something about gifts. Gifts are fine, and the gifts of the Spirit are fine, but if the gift of the Spirit remains a gift of the Spirit, it will as surely as night follows day destroy you. It's the most deadly thing of all. Because a gift that's just a gift and remains a gift and doesn't become a life is the most destructive thing. That's why I see a lot of charismatics who get a so-called gift of prophecy. They go about prophesying everywhere, but their life doesn't equate in maturity with their gift. You've got problems. A man who's got a gift of healing can run with a gift, but God's interested in the life. And if you get the life and the gift out of balance, what you get is disaster. And that's why you get a lot of these miracle ministries go off into extremes because they never realized, hey, your gift isn't life. Your gift belongs to God. It's a gift of the Spirit. That doesn't develop you. Gifts never develop a man. They're God's. You might develop your ability to move in the gift, but that's still God's. That's why it's called a gift of the Spirit. When it becomes your gift, you're in trouble. It ceases to be a gift of the Spirit. You're operating it. And, and, and the gifts of the Spirit, they, they don't do anything with your life. Your life is to do with looking at your natural face, beholding it, understanding what manner of man you are, and being changed from glory to glory as in the face of Jesus Christ. You've got to realize your life has got to become like Jesus. Now you can function in gift, and you can function in miracle, and you can function in uh, prayer without your life changing. And that's when it becomes dangerous. For instance, Saul went amongst the school of the prophets. He laid all day and prophesied. Now fine, he did because the anointing was there. The anointing was high. He prophesied all day. Trouble was, when he went outside of the school of the prophets, he wasn't a prophet any longer. 
And you can come into a church and you can enjoy a so-called spiritual life. But if it doesn't affect your natural life, and if it doesn't change your thinking, your attitudes, if it doesn't change your manner of life, then all you have is you have a blessing from the anointing of others. But what you don't have is new life in Christ. And the trouble is, going amongst people and experiencing gifts can often deceive you into believing that you've got life when you haven't. And God's interested in your life, not your gift. And when you come into a church like this, or any church where they move in gifts, you've got to be careful that you don't get caught up with all spiritual things, become spiritual, and forget that it's your natural. It's what you do in your home, what you do with your family, what you do with your children, what you do in your business, that is what you are. Not what you are in here, what you are out there. And God's interested in what you are out there more than what you are in here. Because what you are in here, you can look into the perfect law of liberty, but when you walk out that door, you can become forgetful what you really are. You can forget Hey, I, I, I belong to God. I'm not allowed to do this. There are principles in God that are, that are just so clear. And if you violate those principles, and it all starts with the natural. God looks at the natural and says, well, what is it? And if you look and you forget your natural face, or you never see your natural face, you won't ever become riding God. And it takes honesty. We have to become honest with ourselves. So easy to deceive yourself, isn't it? Hmm? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So easy to look and get ever so spiritual. But my Bible says if a man doesn't provide for his wife and family, what is he? Worse than an infidel. Well, that is a terrible indictment against any... Now, that's a man. doesn't say a woman. Man. Worse than an infidel. <coughs> now, why doesn't it say woman? Well, if you'll ask T.L. Osborne, he'd say, well, it should say human. And then he'd put you know, either male or female on either side. Well, I, I, I have some sympathy with that. But it is important to understand in your mind, natural. There are principles that God has set, and you can't violate those principles. You can't get away with it. They, principles in God are principles. So, well, what about a woman who can go out and earn more than her husband? Great. No, I have no problem with that. As long as it's in the principles of God. And the principle of God is what? If a man doesn't... What does it say? Provide for his family, his... Now, providing for your family can mean a lot of things. It doesn't just mean money. Although sometimes it does mean money. But money must never be your God. Money is never the touchstone. Because if money becomes the touchstone, you've got a problem. See, in the end, God looks down very clearly and he sees everything. He's no fool how God is good. And he looks at everything and he weighs everything. And we can, we can begin to be deceiving ourselves, but we've always got to look and say, now just a minute, what is my life about? What is the truth? What am I doing? And it's all to do with natural. 
And I think so often we've got so spiritual, we've ignored the natural principles that God lays down, and we forget them. And if you forget them, you get in bother. There are principles. Leave them at your peril. Is that plain? Hello? Is that plain? Hmm? Man has a tremendous responsibility. Goes on. Look. He beholdeth what? Verse 24. He beholdeth himself. And then what does he do? He goeth his way. In other words, he doesn't go God's way, he goes his. And what does he do? Straight away forgetteth what manner of man he was. And that is the problem. He goes his way. And in the end, that's what most people do. They come to church, they listen to the Word, they hear something, they get inspired, they go out and they go their own way. Instead of saying, hey, everything God wants me to do, I need to amend my lifestyle. God says, I've got to amend it. And I can't go my way anymore, I've got to go His way. And I can't be a forgetful hearer, I've got to be a doer. And it's as simple as that. Now, whatever way you slice the pie, and whatever way you want to cut it up, I want to tell you, in the end, it's all to do with obedience. God has given you the ability to obey, now you have the choice whether you're going to. Now, I'm talking of a born-again person, not a person who's in sin talking about someone who's had a true new birth experience, really, the real issue is just your will. When I hear the Word of God, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to go God's way, or am I going to go mine? And that's really the only issue in anyone's life. Now you can dress it up in all sorts of spiritual jargon, but the real issue is God says you must. End of story. That's easy, isn't it? That's dead easy to say. It's when you come to do it, that's where the problem comes. Do you know, what's the love of money? root of all evil. Now if it's inside you, you've got a problem, haven't you? Hmm? If, that, if that's really what governs your life, it becomes a major issue, doesn't it? Because hmm? in the end, that's where your value is. That's what you worship. Isn't, isn't that right? Isn't that right? Hello? Yeah. Isn't that right? You know, and, and if someone comes along and says, well, money's going to drop out your pockets and it doesn't happen, it can be painful. Can't it? And if someone says, <laughs> I'm just going down the road. But someone, you know, money, money, is a, love of money is the root of all evil. And, and if someone comes along and kind of puts you on the spot, not that I will, <coughs> but puts you on the spot and says, hey, just a minute. Puts you on the spot. Puts you on the... Now, you see, you can put anyone on the spot. Uh, and inside, I, in the end, I've got to look and see what manner of man I am. I've got to look and I've got to say, hey. And I've got to be honest. Honesty and love of money. And really the issue is, what do I govern my life for? What is it that really drives and catches me? 
What is it that really motivates me? Don't no one works if they don't work for money. That's what they work for. Have you ever thought about that? You wouldn't get up on Monday morning, would you? And get on the train if, if you weren't going to get paid, would you? Hmm? But you don't get paid enough, do you? And then everything becomes money. You know, more marriages break up over money than anything else. Number one cause of divorce, money. That's, that's a fact. In America, in England, number one cause of divorce, money. Now there's different ways of getting money. You know, it's dangerous sitting on the front. There are different ways of getting money, aren't there? You can be straight and you can be crooked. You can be honest and you can be bent. You can be 100% with integrity or, or you can really uh, get your money by conning other people. And your life is based, really, on, on how you're going to live. And really, in the complexities of life, your, your real spiritual battles are very natural, when you think about it. Because you can work for a company that's a bit bent. But in the end, your integrity depends upon you, doesn't it? Doesn't depend on someone else. I can't excuse someone else. You can do a perfect job or you can do a bad job. You can do a job enough to get away with it to earn your money or you can really do a good job and deserve your pay, can't you? Hello? Is that fair? It's all to do, it's all to do with life and money. Now, we can spiritualize it all, and we can say, oh Lord, bless me. I'm a Christian, I go to church, I tithe, I deserve. But actually, what God's interested in is when you walk out that door, whether you're straight or not. That's what counts. You say, well, you can accumulate. Yeah, you can, you can be a crook. And you can earn more and more and more and destroy your own soul. In fact, Jesus said you could gain the whole world and lose your own soul. So what makes the difference between a man who gains the whole world and loses his own soul and a Christian? It's all to do with the way he lives. The choices he makes, am I going to go 100% God's way and live according to the principles of God, or am I only out to enrich myself? Am I prepared to compromise in my life so I can have what I want, or am I prepared to live God's way and accept what he gives? Uh, and those are really natural issues, aren't they? Going quiet here. Hello? But it's true, isn't it? And everything. But what we do, what we do when we come to church and when we become charismatic is somehow we manage to jump from the natural face and we put on our spiritual face and we think that our spiritual face somehow will overcome the natural life. But God tries the reins of the heart and he finds out what I do when I'm out there. And he says, that's what's really counting. Everything in here isn't worship. Worship is what goes on out there. And then people say, I can't understand why I'm not happy. I can't understand why I'm not free. can't understand why. Well, I can understand it because what's in here isn't real. It, 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 it's not your natural face. And when you do see your natural face and you walk out the door, you forget what manner of man you are. 
and then you go back to your own way and then you get in bother I used to go to a church, I remember it years ago, when I first got converted, and an alcoholic used to turn up at the meetings, and he used to like to sing. He ne never would come in quite sober, and at this church where I went to, they used to ask for people to ask for hymns, and he would always want the hymn, I'm drinking at the fountain, <laughs> never shall run dry. <laughs> now, I think his fountain that wasn't going to run dry <laughs> was not the one that we should be thinking about. Because all he wanted was to get some money to get down the boozer so he could fill himself with skinful. Alcoholic. How many people have I known who got in that state? But a lot of Christians are like that. Come to church, and they make their decision. And they look into the perfect law of liberty. And they make a real decision, this is it. From now on, I'm going to change. And then they begin to walk for the door. And as they walk for the door, they begin to forget what they are. And by the time they get out the door, it's business as usual, life as usual, I'm back to my own ways. And it's not long before they're back in the gutter where they came from. Next Sunday, they're back in church. And so what you get is never fruit in the life. What you get is a continual feeling of our failed and condemnation and guilt and then a feeling of being better occasionally but then you have the fight whether the guilt is going to drive them away from God or whether they're going to finally get right with God and make choices but let me tell you they're not bound by their sin they're bound by their failure to obey God and do his will because somehow when they get to the door they'd prefer to go back to their old lifestyle so that's what they do and that is what's called bondage and then they come to you and say the devil made me do it no he didn't, you did it you were set free when you were born again now you have choice before you were born again you had no choice and really the issue in every one of our lives is how are we going to live? That's it. It's easy, isn't it? Mm. Now, we might have a problem how we were brought up will govern some of our predispositions. We might accept that things are normal, but when we see ourselves in the Word of God, we begin to see that isn't right not the way to live <laughs> every one of us has got to look at our natural propensities Australia, I mean Dr. Hayden's American, I mean what can you say about the Americans? Not much um, <laughs> you can go to any nationality or you can go to any family and you always find <laughs> find the same things. You see, we have natural propensities, all of us, whatever country we come from, whatever nation. But the real thing is, we have to come to honesty and come to ourselves. That's what the Bible teaches. And when you come to yourself, doesn't matter where you come from, when you come to yourself, then you've got to face Colin sitting, I can't resist this. <laughs> No, I won't do it with Colin. Do you want me to, Carl? You don't mind, do you? Okay, I won't do it with you then. There's no fun if they don't mind. Um, people are people. Everyone has a battle. There is no one on earth who doesn't have a battle. 
We all think, and the devil wants you to think, that you're special. That you're the only one who has the problems you have. Well, I've got news for you. Sinners are sinners, and, and we're tempted in all points like as he was. And he was tempted in all points like as we are. And we've got to face the fact that every individual has a battle. Our battles are different. But it all comes down to the same thing in the end. The real issue is, are we going to make the right choices in life when Jesus sets us free? Are we going to decide to go his way and obey him and do what he wants or do what we want? And that's the only issue in life. In the end. And that's what Christianity is about. James is talking about the natural man looking at his natural face. That's what it's like. It's like that. Doesn't mean it's exactly that, but it's like it. And when God speaks to us, we quickly forget what we're like, don't we? Hello? We don't like to be faced up. You see, Christianity is totally confrontational. Wherever Jesus went, he confronted. Now, it's not friendship evangelism, this is confrontation evangelism. Really, the real issue is, hey, what are you in God's eyes? Forget it. Doesn't matter what nation you come out of, what are you? What are you really like, personally? Uh, and what is your propensity? Now, are you prepared when you see what God wants and what, what God wants to transform in your life, are you prepared to do violence with yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him and not forget and not deviate and not choose another way or are you one of those who walks out the door and forget because basically you're living for yourself? That's it. That's where the crunch comes, isn't it? Brought up in a religious family. Huh? Hey? It's tough, isn't it? When the religion didn't work for your parents, it didn't work for your brothers and sisters, it, you know, and then it's tough, isn't it? Huh? And then you start saying, well, you know, and then the devil gets in your mind and plays with you. Because he suggests all sorts, but then you've got a choice, hey, God is faithful. I can make the choices right or I can make the choices wrong. I want to tell you, your family is not your excuse. I've got a break. One thing Abraham had to do, he had to come out of his family, he had to come out of his country, and he had to come out of his kindred, and he had to become part of the people of God. And he started it. God said, that's it. There's something you've got to leave behind. You've got to leave behind your past. You've got to leave behind your people. You've got to leave behind your country. You've got to go to a place that I'll show you. In other words, in every life, God intends us to go his way and go the way he shows. And it takes a tremendous amount of faith to be bold enough to break with everything to go God's way. It takes all your life and all your diligence and everything to say to your old friends, to your old people, to everyone you know, hey, I'm not that way anymore, and to leave your family and to leave your kindred and to go out and to follow God. And that's one thing some people won't do. And the reason you won't ever get anywhere is because you'll never do it. Because you don't want to. And then you go and you say, well, I can't understand why God doesn't help me. Well, I'll tell you why it doesn't. Because he laid down a criteria for everyone and it starts with the natural. We need to look at ourselves, we need to look at where we are, we need to look at the Word of God and we need to make a choice. And if we make the wrong choice, we're in trouble. Is that fair enough? Huh? You can remain in the wrong thing for the rest of your life, but you know you don't have to. 
You could come out and be prayed for, for by a million people and it's never going to change you. Tell you what will change you, just looking at the perfect law of liberty and making a decision, I'm going to live God's way. That's it. Family, finish. That would be a tough one, wouldn't it? Hmm? Family, finish. You know, you've got to break your ties. When Abraham went out, now the trouble with Abraham, he couldn't bear that. He took Lot with him. Took a little while for God to shake Lot off. That's what it's about. Now, does that mean that you, you dissolve from your family? No. What I'm saying is those holds have got to be broken. And you've got to choose God's way, not your own way. And family has a habit of taking you back into your old ways, doesn't it? And you see, what has to happen is you just have to say, hey, well, you know, family's family, but not for me. And that costs everything. Family traits. You've just got to choose. It's called natural. That's what James was talking about. Verse 24, For he beholdeth himself, goes his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and does what? Continues therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, the condition is, whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and... And it's all to do with continuing. It's remaining and abiding in what God said. It's making a choice. God said it, I'm going to live it. From now on, it's my way of life. And you continue in it. Now, everything in life will try and shake you out of it. That's what the devil does. He wants to shake you back into your old lifestyle. And God wants you to continue the right way. And so all the pressures that come in life are basically to try and shake you out of doing what God wants. The devil did everything to get Jesus not to go to Calvary. Even when he was hanging on the cross, they were shouting out, look, if you'll come off the cross, then we'll believe you. If you're who you say you are, get off the cross. Right from day one, when the devil said, look, I'll give you everything if you fall down and worship me, right up to the time he was nailed to the cross, and even when he was on the cross, they mocked him and said, look, we'll believe in you if you'll just get off the cross. You say, you're the son of God, come down. And that's really what life's about. It's a choice, going God's way denying yourself and that is the battle that all of us face because no one wants a person who really believes to go God's way no matter what no one wants a person who's absolutely sold out for Jesus they're just uncomfortable to be around but that is what we're called to do and if you want to be what God wants you to be, you can't be a forgetful hearer, you've got to be a doer. It, it's easy to make a decision in a moment. It's easy for the decision to go back. Isn't it? But the decision was sincere at the time. just the time wasn't long enough but you see what if God really wanted to change an Australian into a Christian or an American 
or an Englishman or an Irishman, where are they? Where's the Irish? Or a Welshman? What if God wants to get hold of you? And he said, hey, just a minute. You've got to go the right way. And that's what we're talking about. Worship is living. James is asking a question. And I'd ask a question of you tonight. How many times have you really got thrilled with something God said and it's not even the moment, straight away you forget it. And you can look back and you say, I remember God said this to me. But what happened? Why did you let it go? Why did it never bear fruit? Why did you go back? God wants us to be going forward, bearing much fruit. So therein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And I've got the scriptures written down here, and I'm on line one at the moment. <laughs> and there's all the others. I'm quitting, because I think I've depressed enough of you. Every one of us knows what God wants us to do. It's just so hard to do it, isn't it? Hey? Isn't that the trouble? It's so hard to clean up, straighten up, and go his way. So difficult to be a hundred percent certain I'm not going to compromise in anything, isn't it, really? When we're honest. It is. Because I, I know. It's so hard to say, hey, I know what's right. And make the stand, isn't it? But you could, but you won't. But you could. Now you can look at the perfect law of liberty and you can say, that's it, I'm fixed. Or you can forget it. Choice. And so I just wanted to, that's James chapter 1, I was, I was going on. But I'll stop. I was going on to John. I'll give you the other scriptures so you can cheer yourself up when you go home. Isaiah 54 verse 17, 2 Peter 1 verse 4, John 8 12, James 2 20, 1 John 3 19 to 23, Ephesians 3 20, 1 John 4 4, Colossians 1 13, and Psalm 27 1. I did those quickly so you couldn't write them down. Uh, but it's interesting though, isn't it? Was that helpful? Yes. Now, to be honest, I could have picked on anyone. I, I just, you know, the people on the front row were easy meat. So please don't you sit there and say, man, look at him. Because next time, what? You want me to start on the back row, dear? You'll sit on the back row. Oh. But that's what God's about. Hey, God wants us to be. If the scripture doesn't apply to us, that it's not in our natural lives, then what, what are we doing in church? If it's not going to challenge us, what's the point? If it's not going to unearth things and show us what we are, and if we're not prepared to change, then what's the point of going to church? the way God wants it to be. I believe what's happening in the church, no one wants to be challenged. But that's not true church. True church is where there's confrontation. I want to know what's right, what's wrong. I want to know what God wants and doesn't want, don't you? I want to go his way. I don't care what people think. I don't care, frankly, what you think. If you don't like it, I'm still going to do it. You know what I used to do years ago? I used to go down and I'd start reading off people's lives and telling them what they'd been up to last Thursday. 
telling them, and I could read off their lives right from the, when they were just born. That used to really frighten people. But I can still stir up that gift. Handy gift to have in your armory. But I found it never changed people. Because no matter how much, in the end, you've got a free will. No matter how much you say, in the end, if someone's not going to want to go God's way, in the end they're going to go their own. No matter what you do. That's why Jesus was smart. He preached to the multitude, he got hold of his disciples, and he then got hold of the three. There were the 70, there were 12, there were three. Uh, appeared to 500 when he rose, but, but basically, you find there are people who really want to go God's way, then there are people who almost want to go God's way, and you know, different. And people have to make choices. But he never forced them to go beyond what they wanted. That's why gifting is dangerous, it's life that counts. Okay? Fair enough. Let's pray. There's a few prayer requests. Uh, on Sunday, I'll actually go on. I, I, it wasn't what I was going to talk about at all. If you heard the other scriptures, it just kind of got in my spirit. Well, I was going to take it. Was that all right? Hmm? Got to change. Time for change. You know, there's a fantastic Bible school on daytime courses. If you've got a chance, you need to see Dr. Hayden. There's full-time students. And you need to be taught. Take advantage. Let's lift our hands to heaven. Father, I thank you. You always hear us. Lord, I just pray in your grace and your love, you'll reach out to these dear ones. Lord, I curse every affliction, every disease. Break its power in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So shall it be.